it, and our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. For those of you who remain here in person and on the live stream, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24, doing a little series taken out of the Apostles' Creed, looking at what it means for us to be witnesses of these things that Jesus experienced and accomplished in his last days until he ascended into heaven. And today we turn our attention to this glorious truth that on the third day he rose again. Luke chapter 24, we'll be looking at the first 12 verses and then several verses at the end. This is God's word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living? Among the dead. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna. And Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And now in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us. This morning, Heavenly Father, 
Give us eyes to see the glory of what occurred on that glorious first day of the week. That we, too, might have understanding of your words and all that the Scriptures have said about you. That we might go forth as witnesses of these things. That there is in Christ, who has risen from the dead, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Empower us with your spirit to hear and understand these words and to live them out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. Not everybody knows that call and response. It can seem quite weird and not normal at all. But if you've grown up in a Christian tradition where that has been an integral part, it seems absolutely normal. And some of you didn't even need to be told. But, but what is normal exactly? Right? Sometimes we grow up thinking something was normal only to discover later in life that it was actually very weird. My wife tells about her stepdad chasing her and the other kids through the house with a butcher knife. And they loved it. It was a great game. It was a lot of fun. But she realized later as she's recounting this story to someone that perhaps that wasn't common. (laughs) I've read about a family that when they order Chinese takeout and they get the fortune cookies, they eat the paper fortunes to make them come true. Which... Can you imagine? It's just weird. There's a, a comedian named Nate Bargatze whose dad was a clown and a magician, and he has this whole bit about how his dad would drive up in the driveway dressed as a clown with a, a guy dressed up as, as an Easter bunny in the car, and that was normal for him. Like He drove off like a clown. How else would he come back? I mean, you just grow up with your dad as a clown. Things happen. Our children... These days, grow up eating dry Cheerios as snacks. Parents just, just give them out as gifts. And there comes this moment in time when you set it before them in a bowl filled with milk and they're horrified. Why would you do this? Sometimes we grow up thinking things are normal only to discover they are actually really, really weird. The Christian tradition celebrates the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ every single Sunday. We remember the resurrection on the Lord's day, on the first day of the week. And there is not one Sunday out of the year where we remember it. There are at least 52, depending on how the dates fall. Every year, every week, we come back and we are reminded of the resurrection. And there's a temptation in that regularity to begin to think that the resurrection is just normal and not completely and utterly incredible. And so on Easter Sunday, there is an opportunity for us to remember that the resurrection isn't something that just happens here or there or wherever, that it is absolutely weird by all worldly standards, that it is incredible, that it is glorious, that it should change everything about how we live, move, and have our being in this world and beyond. 
And so this morning, I want to look at this passage and consider some things about the resurrection that we are prone to forget, that we are prone to fail to recognize. Do we recognize how ridiculous the resurrection really is? Just go with me on that. Do we recognize how central the resurrection really is? And do we recognize how transformative the resurrection really is? Let's look at those three things this morning. And the first thing I want to ask and try to answer is this question. Do we recognize how utterly and completely ridiculous the resurrection is? And I mean this word, quite literally, ridiculous, derived from the Latin, implying laughable, absurd. This is what the world thinks of the resurrection, that it is completely and utterly absurd. I remember having a a, a scientist, an engineer, uh, we'd been hanging out together for some time, and found out that I had a mechanical engineering background, but I was a pastor, and he looked at me with incredulity. Like, how, how can you believe this stuff? Isn't it absurd? There are all sorts of explanations about the resurrection, all sorts of ways to explain it away. It was just a story that the disciples made up to cover over their failure to have a leader rise up and conquer the Romans. It was just some mass delusion out of their grief. All these people spontaneously decided that, well, Jesus isn't really dead. He's alive. And that's the way they found comfort. And if you want to go to the Scriptures, to the Gospel accounts of the resurrection, to find some comfort that the resurrection isn't ridiculous, that it should make sense to us, you will be disappointed. Because here in Luke... The way he structures the story of the resurrection is not the way you would want to structure a story to sort of shore up the idea that this makes total sense and you should trust us. The first witnesses of the resurrection are women, which communicates something to us about the Lord's love and care for these women that followed and supported and encouraged him all throughout his ministry. But in the culture of that day, Women were not considered reliable witnesses. That was wrong, and we shouldn't emulate that. But here the disciples hear from these women that Luke names. These are not like, one of them was their mother, their own, like, they, but they heard the testimony of these women who had ministered with them, who had helped and supported the ministry of Jesus throughout his years here. They they listened to their account of seeing angels and that, that Jesus is risen from the dead and no longer in the grave. The same Jesus who had raised Lazarus from the dead, the same Jesus who had raised the little girl from the dead, the same Jesus who had cast demons out, who had healed lepers, and they found the story to be nothing more than an idle tale. It's too ridiculous to believe. Not even Jesus, as awesome as he was, is risen from the dead. 
Curiosity gets the better of Peter, and so he runs to the tomb to go, see, I'll show you. And he looks in, and sure enough, it's just like they say, but he doesn't leave suddenly having believed the women. He leaves marveling, confused, wondering about what in the world is going on here. How do I make sense of this? What's happening? Because the idea that Jesus might actually be risen from the dead was just too ridiculous to believe. And even when Jesus himself shows up in the upper room and greets all the disciples and stands in their midst, even when they see him with their own eyes, they don't believe it. They think he's a ghost. And so Jesus has to say, why are you terrified and troubled by this? Look at me. Touch my hands. Give me a hug. He finally has to eat some fish because they just, they they couldn't, they couldn't believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, but they would trust that a ghost couldn't eat a piece of broiled fish. So Jesus meets them where they are. And they are so full of joy, they don't even know what to do. The resurrection even to these disciples, was ridiculous. People don't rise from the dead. They don't. That very idea is absurd and laughable. Unless it's true. This is something that we can't manufacture We can't emulate. This is something that only God can do to bring life out of death, to save sinners from their sin and guilt and shame, to bring newness of life where there was only despair. This is something that only God can do. What is so glorious about it is that it opens the door for us to stand in awe and wonder and hope and to look at the death and the suffering and the grief in this world that is deep and heavy and real and yet in a very real way. Find it laughable and absurd because death has lost its sting. The grave is not the end. There is resurrection from the dead. Eternal life is offered to all who come to Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And there is a reminder in that. That we can embrace the absurdity and ridiculousness of the resurrection because it's glorious and good and wonderful because God has done it. And if he can do that, if he can bring life out of death in this way, what can he not do? 
And so the resurrection is not simply ridiculous. It is central to everything. Consider how easy it is for us to get distracted from the resurrection. There are a lot of traditions at Easter time, and and they're fine, they're wonderful. Easter lilies, or gathering with family, roasting leg of lamb, or whatever it is your family likes to do. Going hunting for Easter eggs, or trying to figure out what nice little clothes you're going to wear today. I, I actually had to have this jacket fixed just so I could wear it on Easter Sunday. Because I got a little too big for the buttons to stay buttoned. But we can get caught up in the trappings of Easter and forget what it's about. Or, from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, we get caught up in all of the goings-on of the world, all of the things that burden us, all of the, the sorrows and trials that we endure, and we can lose sight of the the thing that ought to be most central and fundamental to our life. And so we start worrying about whether or not certain people are going to get elected to office, or we start worrying about whether or not we're going to get that promotion at work, or we start worrying about whether or not gas prices are going to go up or down tomorrow, and we start worrying about all of these things, and we forget death has lost its sting. And yet, this is nothing new. This is what God has been saying from the very beginning. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit and so brought death upon themselves and all who would come after them, the day of you eat of it, you will surely die. And yet, from the very beginning, God has been at work to bring resurrection life to bear in the face of that death. This is what the angels tell the women. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what Jesus said while he was still with you in Galilee? Don't, did, weren't you listening to his sermons? Didn't you hear his proclamation that he would rise again? This is what Jesus himself reminds the, the disciples. These were my words to you. And not just my words, that while I was with you, my words in all of Scripture, this is what all of God's Word has been pointing to in the Psalms and in the prophets and in the law of Moses. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and the third day rise from the dead. This was the teaching that the Pharisees couldn't bring themselves to believe that the Messiah, the Anointed One, how could He suffer To the point that they had taught themselves that Isaiah 53, the passage that talks about the suffering servant, had nothing to do with the Messiah at all. But Jesus comes and proclaims a suffering Messiah, but a Messiah who would conquer that suffering, a Messiah who would conquer that death, who would rise again. And as a result, repentance and forgiveness of sins Newness of life would be proclaimed to all who believe. This has been the core of what God has been doing and bringing about 
since the earliest days. It is central to His purposes in this world. And it is central to who we are to be in Christ. God has been telling us about this all along. We should should not, must not be distracted from the centrality of the resurrection. Because the resurrection opens the door for us to see the very heart of God for His people. That those who are disobedient, that those who are wicked and sinful, that those who are burdened with shame, that those who pursue unrighteousness and wickedness, that those who are destined to die, alienated from God and one another, those who have no standing before God at all whatsoever, it is for those The Lord God himself came as Jesus, truly God and truly man, to seek and save the lost because he loves his people and he will not let death consume them. That is a word of hope and encouragement to us. When the heavy burdens of this life press in hard. It's not a call to dismiss the suffering of the world or pretend in some Pollyannish way that it's not real. Yesterday, the anniversary, the shootings at Virginia Tech, grievous, horrific, moment. We've recently passed a million deaths attributed and connected to COVID. There's war raging in Ukraine and in Africa. We've lost many of our own to cancer. And what the resurrection frees us to do Let's not pretend as if those things don't exist. But to step into that decrepit grave. To step into that suffering. To step into that trial. To step into that grief and sorrow. And know that it has no sting. It cannot destroy you. It will not have the day. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And he offers eternal life to all who look to him. And there is no trial. There is no sorrow. There is no grief that can beset you. That will define you if you are in him. He is risen. Now you're catching on. The last thing I want us to consider is that sometimes we fail to recognize just how transformative the resurrection really is. Sometimes, by making such a big deal about it at Easter, it gives us an excuse to to forget about it in other times. It's sort of like 
going to the movies, the big superhero movie, and you see the, the hero triumph over the bad guy, and you're like, great, but then you go to another movie, and you see the same thing again, and it's boring, and the directors know this, so they make the hero have a moment where he, he doesn't, he might lose, oh no, but then he comes back and wins, and, and then you get bored with that, and they come up with something else to try to keep our attention, where he, he almost is going to lose, but he comes back, but oh no, he's going to lose again, but then he comes back again, so there's two little turns, and oh no, and the, and, and they just keep trying to do these jump scares or shifts or unexpected things, but we get, we're just, and you just get to a point where you're just like, it's boring. And there's a danger that we might look at the resurrection and think, yawn. It's boring. Tell me something different. Tell me something more exciting. Tell me something new. When we, when we lose sight of how transformative the resurrection is, we lose sight of the reality that we can never, ever plumb the depths of the newness the resurrection brings. Jesus steps into the upper room. Whether he appeared miraculously or walked through the door, Luke doesn't tell us, but the first words out of his mouth Mouth are peace to you. These words of divine blessing. There is no wrath. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is peace with God. And Jesus pronounces it upon them. And it transforms their very relationship with him. Takes takes it a while to sink in. But it does. He gives them understanding to the scriptures. So their whole understanding of everything that the Bible has ever said is completely transformed in the face of the resurrection, in the face of their risen Lord. This is what God has been doing. And suddenly they hear and see Jesus on every page that we read in Acts later on, that when Philip the evangelist hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah aloud, he knows the answer to the the eunuch's question, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Oh, he's talking about Jesus. Let me tell you about it. It transforms their whole understanding of their own calling. These who, who used to be fishermen or tax collectors or whatever. These, these men who had careers and vocations that they had dedicated years of their lives to. And in fact, when Jesus was in the grave, we find that some of them just went back to them because they didn't know what else to do. Let's go fishing, I guess. Jesus says, no, you are my witnesses of these things. It changed everything about how they lived. They go out proclaiming forgiveness of sins in Christ even at the cost of their own lives. They didn't shirk in the face of that persecution because they knew death had lost its sting. And they didn't do this in their own strength because Jesus, risen from the dead, now sends the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, upon them. They might be strengthened and empowered to follow after the risen Lord wherever he leads that they might know the newness of life that God offers 
now, not just when we pass through the veil of death and see him face to face, but we can know it even now. God gives new life, new purpose, new strength to his people that brings resurrection power into the day to day. It's a joke in the superhero movies genre to sort of like, like what's, what, what's Iron Man like day to day? Like nobody, no, does he open his soda cans with the little power gloves or does he do it like a normal human being? And it's sort of just a funny, entertaining side hustle that the story writers might have. It's not a side hustle for those who believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus. It is everything. It changes us. The resurrection power of Christ through the Holy Spirit is at work in each and all of us, day to day, teaching us more and more what it means to bear the fruit of the Spirit and the love of Christ in all that we do. And so the resurrection opens the door to allow us to participate in what God is doing in this world. He is bringing newness of life. He is bringing resurrection power. And he shares that resurrection power with us and sends us out to be witnesses of what he's doing. Go, be a part of this proclamation of good news that Jesus is risen from the dead, that there is forgiveness of sins, that there is everlasting life. See, see the glorious thing that God can do as he uses you and me to make all things new in Christ. This is glorious, incredible, unfathomable, transformative, foundational, even ridiculously good news. He is risen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to see the glory of your resurrection and the awesome power of it that you share with your people. Equip us to go forth into this world as witnesses of the beauty and majesty of our Lord Jesus who has conquered death, who has conquered sin, who has conquered hell on our behalf, and welcomes weak, frail, suffering sinners into his very household, into his kingdom, into his glory. Work that resurrection power out in us more and more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.